today. Old Lady, Old Trafford, Same Old Icardi, and a story that never gets old, Cinque Maggio 2002, when an entire stadium roared on the opposition. It's Golazzo. Another Golazzo with your pals, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello, James. Great to be here with you. Excellent. This was our second take at saying hello because Gab was a little bit low energy on the first, weren't you, Gab? I'm trying to make up for it now. You're tense about what's coming up next Monday. No, I'm tense about the fact that you mentioned the 5th of May. Well, we'll come on to the 5th of May <laughs> later. We're going to begin James Horncastle mm-hmm. with a couple of uh, events from October 2018. Very shortly, uh, the derby that you went to at the weekend in Milan. But first off, quick reaction to Juve's 1-0 win at Old Trafford at Champions League match day three. Very impressive. I think for an hour they completely dominated. And then what we saw, United be, I wouldn't even say a little bit more ambitious. They put Matic a little bit higher up. Juventus all of a sudden weren't passing as quickly as they had been. But yeah, they should have been far and away ahead of Man United, not only in performance, but in the scoreline as well. They should, they should, I think, gone in at halftime, two or three goals to the good. They're far enough. They said that they deserved the goal in the second half and deserved the draw. Mm. I mean, uh, aside from and the, he won the aside treble. From, aside, <laughs> yeah, as he liked to remind the uh, the Juventus fans in uh, sensational fashion. Maybe uh, future career planning there from uh, Jose, still endearing himself with the uh, Interisti. At the derby, of course, I did see that banner, which is still there, which is the Jose Mourinho Champino banner down in the, what, the Curva Nord at San Siro. The Champino being the uh, the area near Rome, but mm. this is a group of Inter fans who have titled their club in honour of Jose yeah. Mourinho. So still a legend there, at least. Juve flying in the group, five points clear now of Man United, seven of third place Valencia, yet to concede a goal. The last English team to beat Juventus... Gab? Or it's Roy Hodgson's Fulham in the Europa League. Absolutely, four. I was there one. that night. Yeah. Me first too. Half. As well. Me too. Yeah, we. Wow. In separate seats. Yeah, I was. I was behind the goal. Mm. Fabio Cannavaro got sent off. Deuce Dempsey's unbelievable goal, probably the best in what Fulham's history, I would say, uh, was at the other end. But yeah. no less magnificent for it with that view that I had. Later that evening, mm-hmm. I went and I had dinner with Bob Bradley. Nice. Was he wearing a turtleneck? Yeah, I think he was. I think yeah. he was wearing a turtleneck and a blazer. Speaking of turtlenecks, Mourinho was decked out in full kind of Johnny English regalia. For this game, Gazetta, unimpressed, sad to see Mourinho like this, said Italy's number one football paper on Wednesday morning. Number a one? Team, I mean... Well, the most... The most it's number it's, one in Milan. It's the number, number one sold newspaper in Italy, isn't it? Yeah, Gazetta. that's what they say. But is that how you judge something? But, I mean, the sun sells in, in, more than the economist, right? I Gab's going to stand up for his paper now. That's right. Yeah. There's okay. one. There's there's a newspaper from. It's the number one sports newspaper in Milan. Anyway, the Gazetta, for what it's worth, <laughs> wasn't very impressed with Mourinho. Impotent. No moves. No substitutions. An old actor with a part. He no longer knows how to play. As for Juventus, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> nice to see Dybala no longer scared of the big games, huh? He wasn't scared of the big games anyway. This is someone who delivered, I'd say, last season, that crucial goal, stoppage time against Lazio. Remember when he was sliding uh, down and still managed to score? Um, Set up Higuain's goal in the win away at Napoli. And I think this was probably his best performance in Europe against a quote-unquote big team Mm. since the the Barcelona quarterfinal when they they last reached the final. Do you think this is an alternative that... Okay, because you know how like when you develop a theory and then... You have a night like this. My theory was obviously that Ronaldo has to play on the wing 
and come inside and he, somebody needs to play center forward and they have Mario Mandzukic and he's getting older and blah, blah, blah. I can't play every game. But then you see Dybala play the way he did last night and you think, is this a viable plan B or is this something that they can only rely on in certain games? I mean, it's been quite interesting that Allegri said he, he doesn't play in that position. He's been playing as a second striker. Um, he never saw Dybala as a natural centre forward, I would say. There were very few reference points for, for United's defenders to pick up because... Dybala was what? Coming wide, sometimes coming short. Ooh, was he a false nine? <sighs> Gab, don't go there. He's a Dybala. That's what he is. Anyway, fantastic result for Juventus. And, uh, of course, Man United will have the chance to try and uh, turn things around when they head to the Juventus Stadium. We'll move on then uh, for now with a quick salute to Roma. Of course, uh, Inter and Napoli yet to play in the Champions League. That'll be happening Wednesday night. So let's turn our attention uh, quickly to a few events from the league last weekend. Uh, Juve dropping points at the Aventus Stadium against Genoa. In the stupidest way possible. And again, there's different ways to, to, to look at this. Juve probably could have scored more uh, early and, and put the game to, to bed. The fact is, they didn't. And in the second half, they actually didn't just concede stupidly, and I'll explain that in a second, but I thought they also played really poorly. Basically, there was a there was a ball that looked as if it was going to go out for a corner kick, and this guy Kwame from, from Genoa starts running after it madly. And it was Bonucci and Benassia, yeah. the two center backs. They figure, all right, well, what's this guy doing? He's obviously either not going to get there or whatever. He's going to let it run out of play or just shield the ball. So they very clearly switch off and you can actually see them. They start trudging over to their defensive positions on the corner kick. <laughs> and he just puts the ball back in and, and, and Bessa scores. I mean, it was, it was extraordinary. And Allegri was really angry yeah. after the game. He said they were already thinking ahead to the, to the Champions League. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's I'm, funny. We go on so much about experience and solidity and blah, 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 and winners and... Dude, these two guys are 31 and they're mm. making the kind of mistake. They made the kind of mistake that we would slaughter Donnarumma for <laughs> a couple hours later. Indeed, Gabriele. All right, well, you're bringing us on there to events in the Milan derby, which took place Sunday night. So, James, given you were there, let's have a proper look at that after this. Hello, I'm Kobe Jones, and from October 26th, you can join me and the team on the Totally Football Show, American Edition. Throughout the playoffs, we'll be here and across the United States and Canada to follow the postseason to its dramatic conclusion. In our first week, join me, Canadian national team player Lauren Sesselman, City of Angels PJ Harrison, and Tim Walsh as we talk you through all the action. We can't wait to get started. Cesolo l'Inter, ringing out at San Siro in front of a packed crowd as Inter took on Milan on Sunday night, a packed crowd that featured one James Horncastle. How was the atmosphere? How was the flavour, the prepartita? It was uh, a very blustery evening uh, in Milan, so much so that uh, I almost got knocked out by a flying monitor mm. uh, from, uh, from the press sort of row behind me. But uh, the choreographies, I mean, they're always spectacular, but I thought on, on Sunday, the interbasilisk, the uh, Bichone chasing away a scrambling Diavolo, and then minute, two minutes later, you saw the response from the, uh, the Curva Sud where Milan ultras were sat of just two hands ripping apart. A snake. No, the atmosphere was 
was awesome. Banner of the weekend, no question, from the Inter fans. What did it say? <laughs> Sooner or later, Icardi will screw you. Presto tardi, vi tromba, tromba Icardi. Can you say it? Because you speak Italian properly, come on. <laughs> Presto tardi, vi tromba Icardi. Very nice. And so it proved. What was it, 92nd minute or something? Yeah, and uh, that's what Inter do this season on the Spalletti. What, they've uh, scored seven goals in the in the last 15 yeah. minutes of games? If I can say about that too, right? And I know people will blame Donnarumma, but... Matthias Vecino, who we talk about, you know, he's, he's, he's too slow to play in this midfield and whatever. It's the 93rd minute. He's run himself into the ground. We're just off an international break. And he materializes over on the wing. And he puts in a picture-perfect cross with quality. He's not supposed to be doing it. I mean... Well, also because the ball actually that, that set him up to put in that cross was, was pretty special as well. Lovely little over-the-shoulder flick. And then he puts in that cross and Icardi does that little feint to the right and then sweeps off to the left and, and heads it in. You say people blaming Donnarumma, but I mean, I must admit, I thought at the time that was a great move from Inter, but watching it back, what is Donnarumma doing? So I've been given an explanation. Okay. Um... It's funny because goalkeepers just see a totally different game uh, than we do. Uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter is a guy named David Priest, who kind of like explains who? why. <laughs> David Priest, former uh-huh. Aberdeen keeper, played for some Scandinavian teams. All right. Yeah, he's, he's good. You, you, you'd like him, James. He has a beard. Okay. And obviously Donnarumma should have done better, right? But A, from that position, that body shape that he has, and he's got a player right on him, the cross will go to the near post 99% of the time. The other argument is that that's what Musacchio thinks as well. And you can see Musacchio, even before Icardi does his dummy run, Musacchio starts leaning towards the near post, expecting the cross. And so the argument is Donnarumma obviously switched off and he's got responsibility, but equally, he was put off by his own defender going there. And that cost him that half step, and so he didn't get back across. And But before we go and crucify Donnarumma, he mm. also made at least two saves, I yeah. think, that mm-hmm. you know kept Milan in the game. Inter were not just a little better, they were a lot better mm. in this game. Yeah, Milan were really disappointing. I mean, talk about the build-up that they've had over the last few weeks, that they play really good football, uh, that they're scoring goals for fun, that Higuain had scored, what, six Games running going into this one. Suzo was level with Jaden Sancho for assists. And instead, they they barely got out their own half. Um, I don't think they had a, a shot until what, right at the end of the game. Mm. Um, Did and Higuain get a touch at all? I mean, he, he barely... Higuain had one touch in the opposition penalty area in the first half. And I think Milan wasted a couple of good counter-attacking opportunities with, with uh, Bonaventura and Kessier. I mean, I was sat next to a journalist who clearly was a Milan fan and was just punching the desk and kicking the guy in front of him. Or uh, Crudelli's son. <laughs> no, it wasn't Crudelli. But I think it was, it was really disappointing uh, from, from Milan's point of view. It's a match that seems to be a bit of a turning point in the relationship between Milan's fans and the manager, Gennaro Gattuso, and possibly the club as well. There's beginning to be talk of the likes of Roberto Donadoni coming in as a replacement. Uh, we shall see. Milan are all the way down the bottom half of the table with their game in hand. If they win that, they could be as high as fifth. They also uh, have Bessis uh, coming up in the Europa League on Thursday. They've won both their games so far. We'll keep our eye on the situation there. For now, though, in Milan. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. 
In other news, let's talk uh, Chievo Verona because I see that man Giampiero Ventura is back, fresh from his uh, tenure as Italy manager, presiding over their non-appearance at the World Cup. He replaced Lorenzo Danna at Chievo. Gab, do you think they deserve each other? God makes them and pairs them. <laughs> so uh, let's see. His opening game, they took on Atalanta. They were at home. Atalanta hadn't won in nine matches. Oh, they hadn't actually scored in three. How did this go? It was a 5-1 win for Atalanta. A hell of a debut for Jean-Pierre Ventura, who then I think showed up at San Siro for the derby, which of course was the scene of his ultimate disgrace, where Italy lost to Sweden in the uh, in the World Cup playoff and missed the World Cup for the first time in 60 years. So... Um, yeah, welcome back, Giampiero. I'm right. I don't right, know why I'm, you stayed away. I'm amazed that he can walk the streets of Italy. I mean, whether it's his fault or not, what happened against Sweden? Exactly, but um, I think the way he behaved immediately after that uh, debacle, where he refused to resign, fresh from signing a new contract. Mm. Um, yeah, no surprise he didn't resign after this humiliating defeat. As wow, well. well, not yet. Anyway, they're still on minus points, Gabriele. The dream continues. I yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, the reason I, I, I hesitated, I actually clicked over and I was watching. There was one sequence in the first half, right, which ended up with, with a terrible finish, where it really looked like Kivo had the usual thing with like, you know nine people in, in the penalty area. And Atalanta were just, just absolutely just slicing them up with the passing. You know, and they had that Atalanta thing of being reluctant to shoot, but then change later. But goodness me. It, and as far as Ventura walking in the streets, give us a little bit more credit than that. The guy has a bad back. He walks around. God is already punishing him enough, right? By giving him that, that horrendous back back for which he's had multiple surgeries. And now he has to deal with Chievo. That's great. Okay. I can't wait for Verona fans to go pay him a visit. Wow, Capitale, that's dark. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, in other news, Atlanta, fresh from that win, have now confirmed that they are going to be rebuilding their stadium. Uh, so that's nice. The Curva Nord, they say they're going to have ready by the end of next summer. That'll be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, any word on Roma? They, when are they? Uh, <laughs> are we anywhere near them starting theirs? Well, look, this has been mired in some scandal, hasn't mm. it? With uh, nothing to do with the club and the owner, but the the political situation there down in Rome, which is well, and also the the fact that the uh, main contractor is in prison. Yeah, yeah. Parnasino. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so no is the answer. To that. No <laughs> sign of that actually getting started. Parma change of ownership there. Uh, previously in the hands of the Chinese, now a group of local businessmen headed by the Barilla uh, family pasta makers. Of course. It wasn't just the Chinese, by the way. The same Chinese that employed Tony Adams. Was it oh, yeah. Granada when he yeah. did that weird dance? Oh, right. Nice. Well, now, anyway, uh, back in the hands of the Parmigiani. But, sorry, to be fair to these Chinese guys, yep. as I understand it, these are actually people who legitimately have money, but there's capital controls right now in mm. China, and they're, they're, they're turning the screws and getting currency out. So they figured that what money that they have abroad, they probably want to liquidate to be able to move around yeah. somewhere else. Lee Yong Hong thought the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is most definitely not a Lee Yong Hong situation. Hernan Crespo is not Fasone. They even look different. You right. know. Okay. Uh, and if you're a fan of Castle de Sangro, exciting news as the man who presided over their miracle, if you will, becomes uh, head of the Italian FA with a plebiscite. What was it, 97% of the vote or something? Yeah. Change is coming, James. Well, yeah. I mean, he is, when you look at this in a very simplistic way, as I am wont to do, you say, this is a man who took a town of 5,500 inhabitants 
through five separate promotions to Serie B, what can he do with, with the Italian football world? Yeah, we, we should point out, and people who read um, Joe McGuinness's book. book will go and say that everybody Castel di Sangro vehemently denies the allegations that, you know, at the end, they kind of agreed certain results with the opposition. What I will say, and that was 25 years ago and all this other stuff, I'm not a fan of this guy. It's the screwed up system. That said, first of all, that said, we dodged a bullet because one of the other, the two other candidates originally when it was the first time around, one was Damiano Tomasi, the head of the Italian FA, who would have been really good because Mm -hmm. he's a good person and a warrior of the light. The other one is this freak show from hell, uh, Sibilia, who's dad has very dubious, was linked mm. to Avellino and, and his very, very dubious friendships. So this guy at least seems to be moderately on the level right now. Well, and I, I, I hear that Sibylia is his vice president now, Gab. I mean, it's the dream ticket. Yeah. <laughs> is- um, yeah, you could go back and look up Avellino, Google yeah. uh, the name. Uh, and Juari, uh, the, uh, the player. Juari and Raffaele Couto. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's not a... It's, 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 not, it's not a great situation. The good news is that the Italian League obviously also doesn't have a president, and Italian FA doesn't. There's rumors that uh, former Roma chief executive Umberto Gandini is being considered. Okay. As is Beppe Marotta if he doesn't take over at Juventus. So we at, Inter. at Inter. Uh, sorry, at Inter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to say Se Marotta without Inter. saying Juventus in yeah. the same sentence. Uh, yeah. Both of whom are, are, are fairly competent people. Okay. Moving back to events on field. Particularly interesting weekend coming up in uh, Syria. Juve now four points clear of Napoli. Inter two points behind the Neapolitans with Lazio point behind them. Then you've got basically nine teams within three points of each other from Samp in fifth place all the way down to Spal in 13th. All sorts of interesting games coming up the weekend. Empoli hosting Juventus. Milan-Sampdoria, Sunday kind of tea time, that's usually a blast. But particularly the Sunday night game, the Derby del Sole, Napoli-Roma. And then on Monday night, Lazio-Inter at the Stadio Olimpico. Both teams, of course, have uh, European games coming up. Before that match, Inter up against Barcelona. Lazio are going to be at Marseille. Ooh. Mm. So we can't really go too much into depth how they'll approach this game, but we're certainly looking forward to that on Monday night. What we can do, though, is have a look back at another classic iteration of this fixture, because when you say Lazio-Inter, there's only one date that comes to mind. What date is that, Gabriele? May 5th, 2002, Vratislav Grasco. Gap Gap has his head in, in his hands right now, just like Ronaldo. <laughs> we'll find out why <laughs> after this. Gentili ascoltatori, buon pomeriggio dallo studio centrale di Saxa Rubra, ultima giornata del campionato di Serie A, 90 minuti di attesa ed emozioni. 5th of May 2002, end of an era in so many ways and, and what proved to be one of the most extraordinary finales to an Italian season ever. You'd, you'd probably have, what, Liam Brady's penalty for Juve in there if you were talking about great last day dramas, resolutions of Scudetto races. You'd certainly have the Perugia deluge two years before the one we're going to talk about, and you'd have this match here. 2002, three teams were in the hunt for the title coming into the final day. Roma, who were in third place, their chances looked slim at best. Juve, naturally, were in the mix. They were second. Juve team with Del Piero, Trezeguet, all sorts of big names in there. 
top of the table and on the verge of finally, after, what, 13 years? Must have felt like much, much more to Inter fans. All the arguments, all the the missed penalties, by which I mean penalties not given, etc. Inter were there on top of the table and ready to finally win that title for the first time since 1989. All they had to do was win away at Lazio, which sounds like a big deal, but everybody thought this was a done deal. Yeah, because Lazio, their season was kind of over. Um, they couldn't qualify for the Champions League. They need a point. There's a lame excuse. They need a point to get in the UEFA Cup. Exactly. And uh, The UEFA Cup. <laughs> it was a big deal for the Italians back in those days, Gab. But this was like a home game. Inter because these two fans are twinned. You know, the Inter fans sit in the Curvenord in San Siro, Lazio fans sit in the Curvenord at the Olimpico, and the Laziali welcomed the Interisti in with them, helped them wave their banners around, and wanted it to be a big party because ultimately, what did Lazio want? They didn't want there to be any chance at all for Roma to win the league as well. Well, the banner said, Ne Juve, ne Roma, Inter Campione, uh, neither Juve nor Roma, Inter to be champions. And could have a sud where Roma normally sit. It was completely full, I think, of, of yeah. Interisti. But as you say, loads of Inter fans, or certainly Lazio fans, waving into flags while Inter took on their own team. Yeah. And there was another element to this. Just as it looked as if Inter were going to do what Inter so often did in those years, and they come very close, and then the things they hold crumble and run through their fingers like dust, inevitably because of the curse and whatever else. They go and they snatch a draw at home, which turns out to be super important. Right, Clarence Seedorf with an absolute screamer. So Inter fans, what were they thinking as they headed into this clash with Lazio, Gab? I think there was a sense that it was done. I mean, Inter had been quite obviously, the best team in Serie A that season. Right. And Which was quite extraordinary, Gab, because even though they had Christian Vieri and, and Ronaldo, mm. those guys were injured for so much of that campaign that they were playing with Nicola Ventola and Mohamed Calon up front for, for large chunks of the season. Um, Cooper did a really good job, I, I, I thought, obviously getting that job on the back of what he did at Valencia with been mm. to back-and-back Champions League finals. Lost them. <laughs> and, yeah. But they played well, though. Yeah. This is the thing, yeah. right? This wasn't this wasn't a case of like you know. I thought by January he'd gotten the measure of the team. They were rolling. These weren't great players necessarily, with mm-hmm. obviously Ronaldo and Vieira out. But they were rolling along, and as you said, knowing what you knew about the last day of the season, knowing what everybody believed in Italy that you know in the end of the season, if one team needs the points, they get the points, and so on, and it's karma and so on. Why do you want to mess up a a fellow professional? Everybody's. This was everybody's attitude. This was the attitude on the betting markets. I mean, if there is one small sort of silver lining to this, is that it made me wonder, all right, all these people who seem to know everything about Italian football, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, yeah, no, no, tutto, tutto arrangiato, tutto arrangiato, mo you know, all this garbage, right, is all nonsense because when it mattered, and you can't blame everything on Gresco, even though you want to, when it mattered, in the end, the players played. You can also blame uh, St. Poborski, of course. Yeah, his best performance since Euro 96 now, and yeah. uh, apparently had had a phone call from Pavel Nedved. Had he? <laughs> Juve's Pavel Nedved. <laughs> this is, this well, is, yeah. all, all in good time. Then. So 
Okay, this was the inter of that Ronaldo, and he was playing this day with Christian Vieri up front and Alvaro Recoba there as well. Yeah. Star studded team as ever. Zanetti's, well, both Zanetti. Cristiano Zanetti and, and, of course, Javier at the back. Toldo in goal. Cooper on the bench. Lazio, meanwhile, they had Peruzzi, Stam, Fernando Cotto, Nesta for Valley. Simeone. So, Simeone, Pabolski, as we mentioned, and Simone Inzaghi, now their manager, of course. Oh, and Stankovic, too. But there was the fan- also a World Cup coming up that summer, and mm-hmm. there was a sense that, especially with some of the Lazio players, they had packed it in with a view towards the World Cup and recovering. And, and I think that might have been the case with Ronaldo, too, with his injury. Like, and, and the fact that, because yeah, I think there, there was some doubt about towards the end. Mm. And obviously, he wanted to be there for the party. Mm. So Inter need to win. Lazio fans want them to win. And the game gets underway in pretty good fashion. While word comes through on the Radiolini, the little radios from Udine, that Juve are already ahead... It doesn't matter because 12 minutes in, Angelo Peruzzi comes for a cross and then basically just drops the ball at Vieri's feet. I mean, Peruzzi was a great keeper. He get he collects the cross and then just drops it at Vieri's feet. Yeah, I mean, you should see the second intergoal as well. Fernando Cotto is defending there where he basically puts a ball out for a corner, which he doesn't need to put out for yeah, a corner. As the commentator says, strano errore. <laughs> <laughs> but between that, uh, Inter's marking has been all over the place as Stankovic lobs a pass in and Poborski comes in, absolutely wallops it home. Poborski, who clearly didn't get the memo, and kind of makes a kind of fist gesture at the Curva Nord who are uh, not cheering in any sense at his goal. Yeah, they don't cheer because they don't like him because he's a freak with long hair. He didn't do anything and just stole money from all the clubs he You're was spoiling at the after 96. And he was, this was his last game. He was going. And, yeah, he was pretty, uh, as Gab said, I don't think he had a particularly good relationship with the uh, Lazio Ultras. Carol's a girl's name anyway. <laughs> so so then Koto passes the ball out for a corner and bingo, Inter back ahead, 2-1. Yeah, Ricky Dubiaggio. Mm, excellent. So by now you've got the Curva Nord roaring. Oh, news has come through, I think, that Roma are, are, are ahead in their clash with Torino. Yeah, Cassano. And this bizarre scenes with basically much of the Curva Nord chanting for the referee to give the opposition a penalty. Who was the referee, James? That's Paparesta. Right, who would later figure, of course, in the annals of Calciopoli. So anyway, Inter are, are, are sailing towards this historic title. And Gab, then Poborski strikes again. What was going through his mind? I don't know, and I just don't want to talk. <laughs> It goes in at half-time at 2-2. 2-2. 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Two, two. Two, two. Yeah. Seriously. This guy doesn't do anything all season long. He doesn't do anything his entire career except for a Euro 96 and in this game. Right. After a phone call from Pavel Nedved. Yeah. You'll probably call them again at halftime to thank him. <laughs> now, second half, it's fair to say things change. The atmosphere changes because... The popular retelling of this story is that Lazio then decide to come out and really play, not just Poborski, but all of them. Cota's clearly not had his head in it. Peruzzi, by the looks of it, neither. But they turn it on, and Inter have absolutely nowhere to go. They they start having a kind of collective breakdown. mental breakdown. Inter in grande difficoltà, non soltanto psicologica, anche di gioco. 3 a 2. I mean, you see towards the end, Marco Materazzi 
crying on the pitch whilst they're still playing. I mean, Ronaldo, who gets taken off for what would prove to be his last game for the Nerazzurri, sobbing uncontrollably on the bench. This is Cooper's fault. Yeah. The dancing fool. I think he just bought in. You know, I think in Italy, especially when you when you come from a foreign country, you have to appreciate that in the culture, there's a certain level of, you know, oh, yeah, well, we all know this. We all know this guy does that. We all know this is going to happen. You have to know how much to buy into it. Because, yes, there probably is a fundamental blueprint to how things are going to happen. But that doesn't mean that they always happen that way. And I think... Cooper's brain just melted in the first half. I, I think he saw the he saw the mistake from Peruzzi, especially, but even more than the Koto one. And he's like, okay, well, this is no problem. I'm going to keep them on this mindset. I'm going to tell them to go and stay calm. Nobody gets sent off. Nobody do anything stupid. You know, we'll bring this home. And he completely misread what Lazio were going to do in the second half. He misread the environment. He misread his players. And, yeah, it's on the players, too, because they – leave else outside, they were much better than Lazio and, and they should have beaten Lazio regardless. But it really was just, just, just a man falling apart on the sidelines. And, you know, we all remember Materazzi, Materazzi crying and, and, and Gresco being crucified and, and Ronaldo walking off the pitch. But Gresco, by the way, who had a hand in, I think, at least two of the four Lazio goals, one, a back pass with his head, which was... was um, a now legendary performance. Right. But yeah. Another of the Roberto Carlos replacements that they had. (laughs) In that long series. One of the theories is that once Lazio had realised, for all their banner at the start, neither Juve nor Roma, once they realised that Juve being ahead meant that Roma weren't going to repeat as champions, Lazio were kind of, okay, well, that's all we really came for. We're not that bothered. So that's when they actually started to play and that's when it all fell apart. But my word, at that point, it seemed, you know, if they can't win this, into they never will win. And, and it and it took the events of 2006 to really change that. Yeah, and it's quite interesting that they, at the time, made a lot of excuses around what happened, saying that, oh, Moji's been in Rome all week. You know, he's been talking to his people in the what the third last game of the season they were playing against Chievo and they drew and Ronaldo had a stonewall penalty denied by DeSantis another referee who was then later heavily implicated in the in the Calciopoli scandal but Zanetti and I think a number of the players later came out and basically said it was in our hands you know we have no excuses the uh, greatest criminal it, activity was Inter's defending <laughs> it should also be noted though just for I mean you mentioned Monji there the Calciopoli inquiry began in 2004. Now, obviously, when an inquiry begins, it's because you suspect that bad stuff happened before that, and so you're going to start collecting evidence. Unless you believe that the bad stuff which happened before only started in the 2003-04 season, and not before that, and without even going back to 98 and Stagione dei Veleni and all that stuff, you know, you might <laughs> you might suspect that in the Chievo especially in, 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 in that Gavel game. But I think also the, the 2-2 draw. Right. You know, well, I think Moji's thing, thing was never to, to fix a game specifically. It was, no. to, it was to prepare a game. So, for example, yeah, you would have a, a player suspended in the previous match so that he wouldn't be there for the big game. Or, for example, Juve, who were playing away at, at Udinese that time. Udinese, by this point, were safe thanks to, again, a questionable penalty that had been given to them the previous weekend when they were at Lecce 
So things were kind of put in place for a game to take its course, but no question, the biggest finger has to point at, at, at Inter for this game, and mm. Lord knows how long it would have taken them to recover had it not been for the Oreza uh, di Conti of 2006. Greatest bottle job you can think of, Gab? No. I mean, come on, I can, I'll go all Mourinho on you and remember a team being 3-0 up at halftime in a Champions League final, right? That's fair. Um, Milan, <laughs> but you know, I think it, it or or let's like, come on, let's all laugh at, at the Germans, right? A team being one nil up in injury time. <laughs> oh, you could always count on the Germans. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. It, it certainly ranks up there, but I think the big thing was the way in the week before that game because. You know, those two draws, I mean, look, in the end, Inter lost a lot of points, right, with with, with the two draws and, and the two games leading up to it. Normally that, you would say, well, they're losing momentum. But in that week leading up to it, they rebuilt all that momentum. And it wasn't just the fact that they were playing Lazio. They looked confident. They looked they looked sharp. And well, now they were scoring goals. Yeah. yeah. Th- that's the thing. That's what made it so galling. They had reversed the momentum. And then it all fell apart. That season ends with Ronaldo in tears and then on his way to Real Madrid. Would that have happened had they won the title? Would he have been sold? Well, he allegedly wanted Cooper gone. Right. Because obviously Ronaldo over the last few seasons had had those horrific knee injuries. Cooper was a very physical coach and expected training to be at a certain intensity. And there were a lot of kind of, let's say, tiffs when he would either not play Ronaldo when Ronaldo felt he was physically healthy and ready and keep him on for too long when he felt like he needed to come off. And there's there's a lot of kind of other swirling stories around that about Cooper also coming out after that game and saying, I'm planning for next season, I know which players I want, and there being a certain inference that Ronaldo was not one of them. Mm. So. Well, it marked the end of an era in so many ways, 2002. Excellent. Well, let's hope it's every bit as exciting this coming Monday when Lazio host Inter once more. Of course, they had an absolute belter at the end of last season as well to decide Champions League places. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about more Italian football things. Gabriele Marcotti, many thanks. I think that was healthy for you to talk through this today. <laughs> it, it was just such a, such a shocking thing. So there is some, some level of, of, of therapy going on there. Excellent. James, many thanks. You're off to Italy, I think, tomorrow? Uh-huh, yeah. Excellent. All right, well, we'll, we'll hear about your exploits there in next week's show. Listener, do join us for that. Have yourselves a great time. In the meanwhile, and from all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven.